We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Bills make me wanna. Third and goal, Taylor from the gun is going to throw it into the end zone, deflected and cut! Andre Holmes for the Buffalo touchdown! Simming had nowhere to throw, trying to buy himself some time. Throws it, and it's intercepted! E.J. Gaines with the pick for Buffalo! First and ten, Simeon under pressure, and he's intercepted again! It's picked off by Tredavious White! Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Bell Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. This is my producer, Chris Kruger, and that was our boy, Spiro Dinas. Spiro! CBS Sports. Your voice cracked there, FYI. Oh, I know. Folks, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm uh, I'm nursing. You can tell there. (laughs) When I try to hit these higher registers, I'm trying to get fired up here. I don't want to, you know, talk down here like I'm trying to be Walter Cronkite. But uh, I, being at the game on Sunday, man, it's an experience. And I'll tell you, I when it, when I'm in the zone and I'm fired up, I stay there. And unfortunately, because of that, I don't have a voice. It's Tuesday, and I still haven't gotten my voice back. It's been rough. I mean, ask Chris. Chris and Kyle Trimble, one of our listeners, can vouch as they they were there. They took the place of my two fellow season ticket holders for Sunday's game. And it was an experience. Chris, I, I mean, what? I stopped drinking at 10. Yeah, we had to. It was too hot it for was beer. Too hot. It was too hot to get drunk. <laughs> I just switched to water. I can't do this. Guys, we, we have a whole slew of material to cover here tonight, so we're going to jump right into it with this week's Buffalo Bills news update. <laughs> The Buffalo Bills are still first place in the AFC East. That's right, folks. Three weeks into the year, still in the lead for the division. I, I get it. It doesn't mean much. I mean, we've. Do you guys remember the year Fitzpatrick had us? Well, what were we five and zero, Chris? Yeah, I want to say that was like 2010. And then we just nosedived. It yeah. can still happen. So I hope it does. But I'll say that given the way the team has been playing. I, along with a lot of other people in the country, are really interested to see if they can keep that up. Now, do you guys remember a few weeks ago when I talked about how media power rankings 
are nothing more than a mainstream stream version of clickbait. And that even though these quote unquote professionals are the ones putting them together, that they mean less than nothing. They have no real bearing on anything, anything tangible. Well, just take a look at, you know, I mean, at the Bills three weeks into the season. NFL Network has us at 15th overall in the NFL. That's 11 spots up from where they started us off after, you know, after week one. Pro Football Talk, we're up 16 spots to number 11. ESPN has us as the 15th best football team in the NFL. And Sports Illustrated has us at 21st. Sports Illustrated, I think, is about right on the nuggets. That, that's about the only one that I would agree with. I, and, and even they can go fuck themselves. Okay? I, <laughs> I, I just I can't get behind this. I can't agree. This is what I mean, guys. So for those of you out there, and I know, I talk to some of these people. I work with some of these people who say, oh, just see where we are in the rankings. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's all horse shit. Everyone thought we were going to be awful. A lot of Bills fans thought we were going to be awful. I did. Bills fans thought we were tanking. Oh, they're they're purposely trying to be terrible. I still do. (laughs) You purposely think we're trying to be bad. Yes. That's why you trade away your players for picks. And then just get so players happens, in return who also end up contributing to most of your big wins. Because they fit with what the coaches want to do. Oh, Chris, you and I are going to butt heads about this. I can already tell for the next, for the, what, 14 weeks? Is that how yeah. much? <laughs> God, I can't wait for draft talk. Folks, the beer of the night is a Victory Brewing Company Summer Love Ale. It's Chris- fitting because it's hot as shit outside right now <laughs> it feels like summer in fact it's warmer than it was all summer so this beer is quite fitting i'm sure chris you got this on the uh, clearance rack at consumers yeah i did and Absolutely. victory victory is actually from uh is it, i believe it's based in philadelphia so if any any i would assume the people of birds and beers mm-hmm. would know a lot about victory because they're based in uh, that podcast is out of Pennsylvania. i'll tell you what there's a baseball on the front of it clearly it's a sports oriented beer i'm gonna take my first sip here I like it. You're more of an IPA guy anyway. I'm more of an IPA guy, but I'll tell you, I don't hate this. Very first taste, it's very light on the palate. It's got a crispness to it. There's a, a hint of some flavoring that I can't quite put my finger on, but it's not what it's not exactly a summery beer. It's lighter. It's it's man, folks, this is actually pretty good. You you might have actually stumped me on a beer, Chris. I'm gonna I'm going to have to have at least another sip or two before I can make up my mind. And that's, while weird. We, that's weird. A sip or two, usually I'm going to have to have a six-pack or two before <laughs> I decide if I like it. Next up on the docket, Sean McDermott. Now, let me tell you this, guys. I have listened. I have stopped listening to Sean McDermott's press conferences altogether. I have to. Keep listening. Chris has to. He's my producer. That's his job. I look at it as Sean McDermott has perfected the art of speaking for 20 minutes, yet saying nothing of consequence. His press conferences, he offers zero insight to what happened just hours before on the field or the next day or on Wednesday, what's going to happen this upcoming Sunday. It's just a bunch of nonsense. For anyone who's familiar with the TV show, The Chappelle Show, I feel like every Sean McDermott press conference is the equivalent of that scene where he's trying to play the guy who's in court and he just keeps coming up with creative ways to say that he pleads the fifth. I plead the fifth. <laughs> but one, two, three, four, five, fifth. 
He was very complimentary of a few special teams players this week. Yeah, it was great to see. <clears throat> I feel like he's he's in a good rhythm, and um, you know, really the operation between between Reed with this with the snap and Colton, and then uh, with with Stephen, the the relationship that they've been able to form um, over again a short amount of time has has been really fun to watch, and they really feed off of one another. Um, they help each other out throughout the week. Um, to be able to get the points in the two-minute drive before half was key. And the momentum, again, the momentum shift to, to uh, get to that point in the game and for him to knock that through was awesome. He kicked the ball strong yesterday, and, and uh, he's, in, he's in a good position, I think, and in a groove. That audio comes to you from buffalobills.com. I, I mean, he hit the nail on the head there. Hauschka really is killing it. I mean, you see, I abandoned ship to go get water, to pee, and to just try to find someplace not in the sun on Sunday. So I missed his kick to tie the game right before halftime. I missed it. I did too. Trimble did too. It's it was somehow we all went our separate ways, but just abandoned the seats. <laughs> yeah, and then we're and then you and I were able to reconvene in the tunnel for a, reconvene in the tunnel for, for Periscope for, for Periscope live at halftime. Good lord, what a mess! And everyone kept saying, "Oh, Drew looks hammered." No, Drew is just so hot he can't think anymore. Drew hasn't had a beer since ten a.m. But his brain is like a fried egg. But nonetheless, Stephen Hauschka through three weeks of this season really has been killing it. And it's awesome to see that unlike Rex Ryan, Sean McDermott actually knows his long snapper's name. Yeah. I wonder how many coaches around the league actually know the first name of their long snapper. I don't know. I just, I, I, I'm, I'm happy for Reed. You know, he's a friend of the show. I'm really happy that he's fitting in there and that he's really becoming part of what is a very successful unit for us through three games of the season. Now, while he was super complimentary of the guys in the special teams unit, he, I don't know. There's a significant player that it doesn't sound like he's the biggest fan of, and that would be Marcel Darius. Because he's probably not buying into the system. I'm not going to read all of his quotes to you. The whole segment would take too long. But when asked by NFL.com about Marcel Darius, here were some statements of note. At times, I feel he has urgency. I'm going to be very honest about it at times. At other times, not really. (laughs) We're going a certain direction for a certain reason. And we play and do things with a purpose. People that have common purpose and want to share that common purpose, they'll be here. And then prob- <laughs> he clo- one of the closing statements was, this bus is moving. And at the end of this year, we're going to have a pretty good feel for who's on the bus and who's not. And everyone knows that, I would hope. Chris, do you hear that? Sounds an awful lot like the bus McDermott's talking about getting backed squarely over Marcel Darius's ass. I think he's all but gone after the year. And I'll tell you right now, you're not going to get a first for him if, you tra- if you're able to trade his contract. You're not going to be able to get a first. And then a majority of the fan base will be mad about that. I, I've said it before and I'll say, uh, I'll say it again, Chris. I have been one of Marcel Darius's biggest fans for years, and I have staunchly defended the guy. But he's got to prove he can buy in. And it's clear by the comments that McDermott is not he's not overly impressed by what he's seen through, what, the last eight, nine, ten weeks? 
Do you think it's he's got uh, the Mo Wilkerson syndrome where he gets his money and then mails it in? I I can't speak to that, but what I will say, McDermott is right. This team is moving in a direction, and if he really can't get on board with that, then changes are going to have to be made. I mean, luckily for us as the Buffalo Bills, we didn't need him this weekend. Shockingly enough, we didn't need him this weekend to pull out the victory. And that brings us to our Week 3 recap. Buffalo Bills 26, Broncos 16. Now, as we always kick things off, here are my statistics of the game. Tyrod Taylor, 79% completion percentage, which is one of the highest of his entire career. Two touchdowns. Trevor Simeon, conversely, had 60% for 250 yards and two picks. The Bills' D-line accounted for two sacks, 10 tackles, and forced a 2.8 passer rating from Trevor Simeon whenever he was under pressure. Von Miller, one sack, six tackles, and one unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. Did you think that 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 should have been called? No. Tyrod Taylor again. Three for three, 100% for 84 yards on deep passes. And the official temperature, 86 degrees in the shade. Heat index hit triple digits on the field. And that's where we're going to start this entire recap of the game. Because I'll tell you, for all of you who got to watch this game at home, at a bar, at a friend's house, I bet that Sunday was a lot of fun. I bet you all got together and had a blast. You you were all high-fiving each other and having a great time, weren't you? Weren't you? (laughs) For anyone else out there like me who attended the game, Sunday was the Widowmaker. Sunday set the record for the hottest Bills game ever. It was 90 degrees with a heat index on the field that often spiked into triple digits. In In the lower bowl... It was said that the heat index in there was anywhere from 94 to 97 at different points throughout the first half, and there was no breeze at all. I don't think I've ever sat in a game at Ralph Wilson where I didn't see the flags on the goalposts not moving, and yet that was that was Sunday. Oh, yeah, you should have seen Trimble. Trimble was dripping Dude, sweat. Dude, I, I, not many of you people know this about me. But I am one of the sweatiest people on earth. Picture a human version of Slimer from Ghostbusters. That's, that, that's what I am. So you can imagine what the afternoon was like for not just me, but for everyone who had to sit near me. I mean, I tried to wear just a jersey. You know, I, I went in, I took off my undershirt, I said, okay, I'm going to wear the jersey, it's breathable, it's mesh, it'll be fine. I sweat through the jersey in the first seven minutes of the game and had to take it off for the rest of the day. It was awful. And now I'm out there, I'm, I'm shirtless, and I'm sweating so badly that I wanted to lean forward to keep the sun off my forehead so I didn't burn, but then sweat would just roll in and fill up my sunglasses. It was awful. And somehow, Chris is sitting next to me wearing fucking jeans. Yeah, it was hot in the first half, but second half, got a lot cooler. It was hot? What? That's like saying that, ah, there was a cool breeze coming across the Arctic this morning, you jackass. How, why, why were you wearing, how did you survive that game wearing pants and sneakers? Easy. I put the pants on, and then I put sneakers on, 
and then I enjoyed my day. Guys, it's because it, I probably lived in Atlanta for 17 years, so I'm kind of conditioned a, to the heat, conditioned to that kind of temperature. Jesus. But that is exactly why I left Atlanta. <laughs> that shitty heat. I'll tell you, it was the most oppressive thing. Every time I tried to draw a full breath, it was like there was a hand on my chest. At one point, I realized I was actually sweating through my cargo shorts. My swamp ass was so deep that there were gators swimming in it. Okay, that's how bad things got. I, it just felt like I was trying to survive. It's so damn hot. Milk was a bad choice. But I do want to give the Bills organization credit. Over the years, I've witnessed them bungle a lot of things, a lot of boobery on the, on the part of the team from a game day experience perspective. But in the face of the highest temperature ever, mass dehydration, I mean, it was just, they had a plan in place and they executed it to a T. When, when they realized that they would run out of water before the end of halftime, they actually had a couple hundred, I think it was a hundred and some odd pallets of water trucked in from Wegmans. And then when they ran out of those bottles of water to sell, they started just giving away coffee cups, styrofoam coffee cups full of ice water. And the people, the girls, at the concession stand would just load up the counter with cups of ice water and then give people carriers and just tell them, listen, just take the water, just keep it rolling, keep it rolling. And they had guys in carts driving around to deliver more styrofoam cups and carriers out of storage. I, I will say that for as ugly as things got, the team really did for the first time I've ever seen, make sure that they handled the crisis seamlessly. I give them a lot of credit for that. Yeah. At least they weren't assholes charging 450 for tap water. Oh yeah, the New England Patriots folks. Oh, yeah. So they weren't even they, they weren't even assholes. as hot as we are, and yet it turns out the Patriots were charging their fans 450 per styrofoam cup full of tap water. Are you crazy? Who allows that to ha- and now they and they issued an apology and said that they would quote unquote investigate it. Oh, go fuck yourselves. That's that's why. See, I hate everything that comes out of Boston. I hate them. But I will say that to everyone else who attended the game and stuck it out with me, God bless you. Because I'll tell you, it, it was less about watching the game and more about surviving it. One of the high points of the game for me was Rick Dennison. Last week, I let that guy have it. I thought his lack of creativity and his failure to change up his game plan when the team was, you know, when what the team was trying to accomplish wasn't working was our downfall. This week, that mindset of his, I think, is what actually won us the football game. You were actually calling for him to be fired during the game. Was that during the first half? Most of the game. <laughs> you were, you, you get, the, for people that have not experienced a, a even a, an away game at the Fortress of Solitude or a home game with you, like, you just... I come unhinged. You you come unhinged. Like you'd say, "I'm I'm not going to do it," and then you do it. <laughs> and then Sunday night, Monday, you take a deep breath and you're able to organize your thoughts. Because during the game, you say I'm, you I, said so much about Dennison and how you wanted him fired. Well, after you like okay, yep, 
Two actual games, you've seen enough. No, and here's <laughs> and now here's the thing, folks. That's why we record this podcast on Tuesday, because I need sanity to prevail. Yeah, kudos to Lars and Bills and Beers <laughs> for recording their yeah, podcast Yeah, I couldn't do it. Directly you, after the game. No one would listen to an hour of me post-game, because it would just be lunacy. Now, against Carolina, what you saw time and time again, Dennison called rushing plays that basically forced our running backs directly into the teeth of their defense. Instead of trying to you know, get creative, whether it's a trick play, a gadget play, something to loosen up their run fits. And the offense sputtered because of it the entire day. Then he didn't protect Tyrod at all, knowing that the offensive tackles would struggle to hold up in pass protection. Now on Sunday, Dennison once again just knuckled down and said, listen, I'm going to pound the rock. I am going to run directly at you people. Except this time. He was able to get the bootleg passing and the play-action passing game going. And the result, one of Tyrod Taylor's best and most efficient days as a quarterback in the NFL. I I mean, the linebackers and the safeties of the Broncos' defense had no choice but to respect the fact that we were going to try to run the ball down their throats and also respect the fact that Taylor is a threat to leave the pocket and hurt you with his feet. Well, right before we began recording... Our Dolphins contributor, Travis Wingfield, he's on Twitter, at WingfieldNFL. He tweeted us a, uh, I think it was a bootleg rollout that we bootleg threw to rollout to, to O'Leary. O'Leary for 31 he, yards. He said it was one of his top five throws this season No, he said across what, the NFL. What he does is he does a lot of quarterback analysis over there on his website, thirdandten.com. Yes, that's third spelled out. Thirdandten.com, he does quarterback reviews. He said that that throw by Taylor was one of the best that he's seen all year from any quarterback. Now, I've got two perfect examples, though, of how Dennison's genius really did. You know, after going back and watching the coaching film, you see a lot. Okay. When you watch, even just rewatching the game, I don't need the all 22 footage. Jordan Matthews, 28 yard catch. The team lines up in a shotgun formation, they go three wide with LaShawn McCoy in the backfield. When the ball is snapped, the defensive line crashes the line in a pass rush attempt because since you're in shotgun, they have to assume you're throwing. But you've got one interior linebacker who's trying to spy Tyrod because you can't let him get out of the pocket in that type of a situation. The other linebacker has no choice but to try to account for LaShawn McCoy because you can't leave him uncovered. The boundary wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills takes off on a, on a deep route, kind of a vertical route carries the cornerback in the free safety on that side of the left-hand side of the field up up the sideline with him, creating essentially a giant vacuum in pass coverage over on the left-hand side of the field. It just so happens Dennison has uh, Jordan Matthews cutting across on a shallow crossing route. Tyrod hits him in stride, and he takes it for 20 yards. What was it? 23 yards after the catch because he only caught it a few yards from the line of scrimmage. Yeah, this is uh, where uh, you're... The beauty of your season tickets come into play because mm-hmm. you are in uh, Drusen 200 behind in the end zone. So most of the game, you're getting to see the the, the best develop. the best view of the play develop. That's why I don't know why they don't charge more for my tickets. But whatever, I'll I'll take it. And then less than 30 seconds later, the Bills again. Now they're going under center. They split out three wide receivers to the left, one to the right. Charles Clay is an extra blocker on the line. They run a play-action pass, and because the Broncos' defense has no choice but to respect all of the rushing attempts that we had stacked up by that point, 
Again, everyone gets sucked towards the line of scrimmage. Tyrod pulls the ball out and throws downfield, which was a as he's getting hit, throws downfield accurately to Kalen Clay for 28 yards. Again, that it's he just watching Taylor play in that game. It makes me wonder what what's different in games like that from games like last Sunday. Last Sunday, there was passes that he was throwing that I, I mean, I felt I feel like Maybe they wouldn't the road. They wouldn't have hit water if he had thrown them in a boat. But there again, he comes out and he's incredibly accurate this week. Now, here's the thing: is that good play calling? Just getting because we've all talked about this. Tyrod Taylor is a see it and then throw it quarterback. He has to know that his guy is open before he'll throw it because he's just naturally a very risk averse quarterback. But he's he's making plays this season in the passing game that he didn't make in seasons past. You know? Well, I don't. I can't recall a game of his where he's played like. I mean, last year against Miami in the second half, mm-hmm. he played great. That was here. Mm-hmm. It could be a road and home issue. Because some people play better on the road. Than ben Roethlisberger yeah. is that at this point. At this point in his career, Ben Roethlisberger is that guy. I he's, think he's, I think it's because Tyrod plays a lot better at home than he does on the road. I mean, and don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say he was the best quarterback in the entire universe. He had some head scratchers. I mean, there was a play. I think one of the plays where I, I maybe said some unkind things about him was when he had a pass to Zay Jones that you couldn't even rule as a target for Jones because he threw it so far over his head and out of bounds. Oh, I vaguely remember that throw because Zay, jo- Zay Jones was wide open. I remember that because I punched the seat in front of me and then immediately regretted it, but then forgot that I regretted it and started pounding the seats again in the next play. Let's not let's let our listeners know that you didn't pound seat in front of you. That's a bench. <laughs> a solid aluminum bench that you just punched. There's a lot of days when I there's wake no, up after game no day. There's no cushion. There's a lot of days when I wake up after game day and my hands hurt and I can't figure out why. Yeah, you forget that you sit in bleachers. <laughs> Folks, I just finished my uh, Victory Summer Love Ale, and I got to tell you, it's crisp with a little bit of maltiness. It's got a nice finish. I mean, this beer was fantastic. I'd, I'd drink seven or eight more of these. They're like six ninety nine right now at Consumers. Fantastic. Okay. Folks, go check it out. But so, again, back to the offense. I just think that Dennison really outdid himself this week. He came up with a great game plan. He executed it. I, I mean, he got our quarterback. I mean, you think about this. Tyrod Taylor's rating, 137 when he was not pressured, 15 to 17 for 127 and two touchdowns. And then against the rush, he was still an 88.2% passer, or that was his rating. You compare that to Trevor Simeon, who averaged 2.8 against the rush. Tyrod Taylor was a better quarterback, and our team won because of it. And Dennison set him up for success with his game plan. He he did enough. I mean, they were overmatched, I think, from a talent perspective. When you look at how talented the Broncos' defense was. Does it help that that's who Dennison was last with? Maybe it does. But I think that they executed everything well enough to move the ball when they needed to, and they put up points against one of the top defenses in football. Brandon Marshall is a great linebacker for the Broncos. He gave up five receptions on five passes. Dennison just picked them apart any time that they tried to go into his own defense. And... It, I just, I'm again, I'm not going to, and I'm not going to give him, again, I'm not going to give him a huge hug the next time I run into him in public, but 
he definitely earned some of my respect back after watching last week's game. Now, one of the other things that stood out to me, you got you to think about how the rookies do. We've got some rookies playing some pretty prominent roles on the team right now. I, I, yeah, Trey White had his first career pick. Well, yeah, you talk about Trey White. I mean, he had a fantastic day. Early in the game, they they went after him. You know, they really did try to throw plays to his side. They targeted him early, and they got the better of him a few times out of the gate in the first half. I mean, there was that one big catch to Emmanuel Sanders that he just, I don't know what he was doing. It's like he bit on a shallow zone thinking he had help over the top, and it just wasn't there. So, you know, those types of things happened. But honestly, I, I think that the more and more that they came at him, the more and more comfortable he got. Because by the end of the day, he had six tackles, three passes defended. And in the second half, he registered, I mean, that pick of his in the fourth quarter, it was great. I mean, Eddie Yarbrough gave him a huge assist on that, coming in and pre- you know hitting Simeon as he was throwing. But still, to get there and then to have the 14-yard return really kind of set us up for a solid field goal drive after the fact. I mean, I just... It got the Bills offense back on the field for what inevitably was the dagger in the game. You know That's what I mean? Right. Reed Ferguson snap <laughs> to Hauschka for a field goal. All I know is Trey White showed that he was a rookie this weekend, but then he also stepped up and showed why he was a first-round draft pick. I mean, anybody who says that we're missing Stephon Gilmore can go fuck themselves. <laughs> yes. Sorry, Sorry Chris. <laughs> hey, it's... <laughs> Dude it's, be- Dude, it's better that you're honest. I'm a passionate man. So, Deion Dawkins, okay? Guy starting his first career NFL game as a starter. You have to start at left tackle, and you're going up against a very aggressive pass rush. He gave up a sack to Von Miller on his very first blocking assignment. <laughs> Chris... When he blew through there and sacked Tyrod, be honest, you were like, oh, shit, this is going to be a long day. No, I was like, yes, this is going to be a long day. Oh, it's going to be a long season. You're an and ass. then we're going to get rewarded in April with a quarterback. I can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> I'll say this. After giving up that sack, one of the things I noticed is he goes to the sideline. When he's on the sideline, you know who's talking to him? Aaron Cromer. Kyle Williams. Damn it. Kyle Williams came over and talked to Deion Dawkins. And then Eric Wood came over and talked to Deion. And then he went out there and he played a fucking game. He found a way. I mean, yeah, he gave up pressures, but that's what that defense is stacked. So the fact that he didn't allow another sack and the fact that he learned from what he did wrong the first time. He let himself get beat on kind of an inside-out move. The fact that he had... Wood and then, or Kyle Williams and then Wood talked to him. I mean, we don't really watch the sidelines much during the game. So maybe you could assume that Kyle Williams was lining up over Wood and they were teaching him this is what Von Miller's going to do because both of those guys have been in the league like, what, 10 plus years? Yeah. All I know is, is that Dawkins really surprised me because I thought that he would be, I thought he would struggle a lot more than he did. I mean, Here's what I'll say. He had an up-and-down performance, but I'm excited to see him grow. And it's going to be interesting to see how he performs in the coming weeks because we still don't know what's going on with Cordy Glenn's ankle. And given the way Dawkins played, 
on Sunday, I would say that I'd leave him in. You know what? If Glenn isn't 100%, I absolutely would continue to roll Dawkins out there and let him continue to grow. I mean, if I'm Henderson or Mills, though, I would look at the numbers and I'd say, okay, we have a cornerstone left tackle. We've also got this Dawkins kid who's playing really good at tackle on one side of the line. If it comes back, like when Cody Glenn comes back, are you putting Deion Dawkins back on the bench? Or are you maybe going to start giving him some reps at right tackle just to see how it goes? What about Cordy Glenn at right? I'm not moving Cordy Glenn at right tackle. That's ridiculous. Oh, I'm, I'm just throwing <laughs> ideas out there. You're, I don't know football like you do. Chris, you have ideas. Most of them are terrible. I have a lot of great ideas. Oh, Christ. And then there was also some downside to the Bills rookies on Sunday. Zay Jones... Had what? I don't even want to call him growing pains anymore. <laughs> He's got man hands. I don't know what's going on with him. I mean, couldn't catch anything. He was targeted twice, three times if you count that one horseshit pass by Tyrod. He he couldn't get either pass in. I mean, people gave him a lot of shit after the Panthers game for that catch that he couldn't make, and then today he won upped it. I mean, you think about that play. Uh, you think about the the goal line play. Think about that. The Holmes touchdown? The Holmes touchdown was an abomination. That's a fucking absurd play that should never happen. You've got a wide receiver crossing the goal line with his hands up, and instead of catching the ball as it hits him in two hands, he flattens his hands out and trampolines it up like a volleyball. That ball could have been picked. God only knows what could have happened to that. But but he did it. He did it. And thank God for him, Holmes is six foot four with a ten foot wingspan and could snag that ball out of the air and bring it in for the touchdown. That was an extremely lucky play. I I know that wide receivers have a steep learning curve in the NFL. But the things he's struggling with are the things that got him drafted. He was supposed to be a great route runner and he was supposed to have great hands. He's struggling to get separation and he doesn't catch anything you throw at him. What do you do? When a wide receiver gets the yips, Chris, I, I don't. I don't think he's he's his drops seem to be in the area of wherever it is his hands are outside of his body. But that's a Carolina. But that's horseshit. I'm yeah, sorry. You, you, you got an NFL gotta, wide receiver. You got. You can't just rely on the quarterback hitting you in the numbers and right in the bread basket and you catch it. You got to be able to use your hands outside of your body and catch the goddamn ball, and it's, he has yet to do that. I mean, it's I, my fear is that if he can't become a more reliable target, Tyrod may stop ta- stop throwing to him, which ultimately will let defenses know that when he's on the field, he's not a primary target, and help them start to roll their coverages. Right now, I think one of the things helping the Bills is that we don't have a true number one receiver. I firmly believe that. Because now you don't know who to... T- I mean, if we had Sammy Watkins, Sammy Watkins would be seeing double coverage on almost every play. They can't do that to us right now because they don't know who's number one, who's number two. The more and more a guy like Zay Jones can't come through when you throw him the ball, the more it allows defenses to say, okay, we can single cover that guy because he's not going to catch it even if they do throw it to him, which in turn makes life harder on everybody else. Sorry, Zay, you got to start pulling your own weight. Luckily for our offense, the defense is just just surging this season. 
what is it, two touchdowns? Did you see this type of a defensive turnaround, Chris? When we hired McDermott, knowing that he was a former defensive coordinator, knowing that he was bringing in a crew of experienced, seasoned, you know, assistant coaches, defensive coordinator. Yeah. Did you see this type of a rebound from our defense? I didn't, mainly because what's changed on our defense is our back end. I don't think we have any defensive backs nope. from last year. Well, that's just it. And You're going into a season with a back end that doesn't know each other. They've never played together. There's no there's no chemistry built coming into week one. But then again, that is McDermott's specialty is safety play. Yeah. And we can all agree that uh, Jordan Poyer has probably been Oh, he's the, been a, one you know, of the biggest. Yeah. What, when we signed him, I questioned it. And now I just love the fact that he's in, he's wearing the blue and white. Through three games, the Bills' defense has staked a claim to being considered one of the top units in the entire NFL. I, I mean, the de- first of all, the, on Sunday, the defense was all over the offensive line of the Broncos. We were beating them like a drum. And then Tyrod thrived in the face of pressure. Simeon just folded. And our cornerbacks did allow some big plays. Like I said, Trey White got fooled multiple times on some, you know, Different coverages that he, I think different, uh, he wasn't, on a couple of them, it looked like he almost wasn't prepared for who, because he's trying to figure out a zone. Part of a zone is you follow the man that comes through your zone, you patrol that area and let the quarterback know he can't throw to that until the man gets outside of it and you're waiting for your pass rush to get home. A couple times it seemed like he bit deep, kind of came in too far and let guys get behind him thinking either that he had help or thinking that there was somebody else in front of him that he should have been covering, and then that person behind him caught the ball. I mean, it happened a couple times where there was some head scratches. Just, what the fuck is that guy doing so wide open? Going back and watching the game film, well, it makes sense. White bit on some. But, outside of those few broken coverages, they did well. You know, the the cornerbacks really didn't allow anything over the top. And that's the key to a cover two, cover three defense. And then you look at our linebacking core. They allowed a lot more rushing yards than I thought we would. I mean, we gave up a lot in between the 20s. Jamal Charles had that one long rushing touchdown. But outside of that, you know, we'd, we'd give him a burst here, a burst there. But when it actually came time to shorten the field and you could put a safety in the box, all of a sudden they couldn't run the ball anymore. They had to throw it right into the teeth of our secondary. It's incredible the turnaround that I've seen from this defense. I mean, that means, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it in a little bit, but next week's the test. Well, next week, though, this is absolutely a test, but I'll, see, I'll say this. You don't have to. You can be a layman. You can be someone listening to us right now who doesn't know anything about the X's and O's of football. Like me. You can watch the Bills this year and see that they're different. Okay, In seasons past, you'd see linebackers running kind of side-to-side, chasing plays, and defensive backs that would still be trying to communicate with each other in the middle of a snap. Now, what you're seeing is that even when we're giving up yardage, there's still guys coming downhill at the ball carrier. No one has been able to get over the top on us and behind us. That's why they're thriving. I mean, right now, we are ranked as the sixth overall defense, according to NFL.com. But that doesn't tell the whole story about how drastically improved we are. Because numbers numbers can lie. Here are some of my favorite, and what I think, when I think of what makes a good defense, 
are the most impactful stats to our defensive season so far. We are fourth in the NFL in first downs per game. We've only allowed 17 first downs through three games. We are number one in points allowed per game at 12.3. That's huge. Scoring defense will win you, you know what I mean, will win you football games. We have allowed zero receiving touchdowns. How many should Kelvin Benjamin have had in that Carolina game? Oh, he had one, but he got knocked out. And then he had another one that Jordan Poyer just slapped out of his hands at the last minute. It was one of the most one of the prettiest defensive back plays I've seen all season. And then zero fourth quarter points allowed. You can attest that to maybe some uh, second half adjustments. Yeah. Now, I know that it's unrealistic for any of us to expect that they can continue this type of dominating performance. And you figure the nature of football. Injuries happen. Yeah, and we aren't the deepest team in the entire You know what I mean? That's been one of the knocks is that we are not a very deep roster. That's why everyone hated us coming into the season. When we were talking about our power rankings, people looked at us and they said, okay, well, they've got some nice players, but as soon as one guy gets hurt, they're fucked. Well, so far it hasn't happened, knock on wood. We've been one of the healthiest teams in football, and with that, our defense is thriving. I mean, even without Marcel Darius, I honestly believe that the the bank the the Broncos rushing totals would have been smaller if Marcel Darius had been in the game because he's a much better defensive tackle. And a lot of the hay that they made was in the middle of the field, runs off guard, off center, off the uh, tackles left shoulder, things of that things of that type. Plus, if you're gonna have Darius in there. You know he always accounts for two offensive linemen. Oh, yeah. No one's going to leave Darius singled up, which is why Kyle has been having the season he's been having. I mean, ultimately, it's just good to see that with all the question marks that we came into the season with, it's possible that with just a few more tweaks, another good draft, maybe two, this could actually turn out to be one of the NFL's better units for the next few years. That's what I like. I like the youth, and I like the fact that we have what I see is hope for the future. And that brings us to this week's hero and zero of the game. Zero, I hate to I hate to do it to you, bud, because you're young. You're probably going to make me eat crow at some point here. But until then, Zay Jones, wide receiver. I just spent five minutes hammering Zay, so I'm not going to beat a dead horse, but. The kid needs to find a groove with Tyrod Taylor. I don't know if it's extra practice reps. I don't know if it's more time just with the jugs machine. I don't know what it's going to take. But the kid has to learn how to be a more effective wide receiver. Like I said, his failure is a detriment to the entire wide receiver core because now it's going to allow defenses to key on specific players. The hero of the week, I there's 50 different guys I could have given it to, but I had to give it to Tyrod Taylor. Metrics aside, all of the numbers, what I saw out of Tyrod Taylor was something that I haven't seen before, which is when your team goes down. Your team goes down in the, you know, they, they drive down, you're, you're, you're at home, the other team drives down, gets a field goal. You punt twice. Okay. We're losing. We answer with a touchdown. Nah, but they answer right back. Okay, you're down by three again. 
in a close game, I'm used to seeing Tyrod Taylor fold. Except he made some plays that I don't know that there's any other quarterback in football that can make. Chris, the play where he should have been down behind the line of scrimmage but somehow kept his balance and then scrambled away for the first down to keep the clock moving on like the final field goal drive that pretty much iced the game for us. Yeah. I mean, that is a Tyrod Taylor that I haven't seen yet. Yeah, he played he played good. I still don't like him. <laughs> I still think he gives us the best chance to lose. Well, he gave us the best chance to win on Sunday and that's that's the reason we took it. Uh. <laughs> I mean, Chris, when it comes to a quarterback, you could do a lot worse. I mean, think about the quarterbacks in our own division. Guys, it's time for this week's AFC East Roundup. And in a real treat for everyone who decided to waste three and a half hours of their their weekend watching it, the Miami Dolphins took on the New York Jets. The Jets won 20 to 6. Now, let me tell you, aside from the temperature in my truck after the game, the second most surprising number that I saw after the Bills game was the score of the Jets game. At first, I thought when I saw it, it said 20 to 6 Miami, and that made sense, and I just packed it away, and I didn't think about it. And then I went on my phone later that night and looked and realized, holy shit, the Jets actually just stomped a mud hole in Miami. I was disappointed because I picked up Miami's defense for fantasy. But it didn't matter because I still won by 83. <laughs> the, the Jets' defensive line was all over color. The Dolphins' offense was awful, prompting Adam Gase to come out today and refer to them as garbage. Okay, garbage. He's talking. Uh, it's kind of like last year when they lost, when the Dolphins lost to Cincinnati, and he f- remember we were talking about that last week, Chris. And then he fired all those players and benched Mario Williams. Well, he's talking the same way today. I mean, Jay Ajayi was held to less than twenty yards, and their offensive line was completely manhandled. I know it's early in the season. Yeah, you have to try to take these wins with a grain of salt as far as you try to determine the quality of a team. But the Dolphins have earned the distinction of giving Josh McCown his seventh career win as a starter. Holy shit. He not only got his seventh career win, the Dolphins allowed him an 87% completion percentage. I'd like to know if one of the other six... Is also against the Dolphins. (laughs) That'd be hilarious if it is. And then Cutler, on the flip side of that coin, he he was 4 of 13 for 26 yards anytime pressure got near him. I I mean, you look at the way that the Bills have been playing. Are you scared of the Dolphins now? Yes. I'm not. I see that and I say, okay, you know what? You're one of those football teams then, and who knows what they'll be in 10 weeks when we play them. Exactly. But for right now, I don't know. You you didn't just lose that game against the Jets. You got your asses hand. They, they didn't score their six points until the final drive of the game on the last play. And then they had to kick the they had to kick the extra point to end the game, and their kicker missed it. Like that's they're still the Miami Dolphins, guys. Okay? Now, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens. This week, the Jets take on Doug Marone and the Jaguars, who just stomped the shit out of the Ravens over in London. 
I mean, my my fantasy defense for the Ravens got a negative six points because they kept turning the ball over. The Dolphins are themselves heading to London to go play the New Orleans Saints. So if that defense couldn't stop the passing attack of the New York Jets and let Josh McCown throw for 87%, what do you think Drew Brees is going to do to him? That's what I'm interested to see. I think it'll have something to do with jet lag and being overseas. Jet lag. I honestly do. I, I buy into that. Well, you know what? Talking about buying into things. All of that talk that people wanted to give about after week one for the New York for the New England Patriots. Everyone wanted to talk about Brady being washed up. Oh, is this the year? Is this the year he falls off the cliff? Oh, guess no. what? You can all throw that on the back burner. Holy shit. Two weeks in a row, Brady has put up ridiculous stat lines. This game against the Houston Texans, they win 36-33 to on a last-minute touchdown drive. He throws over 300 yards and five touchdowns. Fuck that guy. <laughs> I've had enough. Just go away. You're 40. You Just should... go away. I've had enough. You're 40. You shouldn't have stat lines like this. They barely won a shootout against a Houston team that on Thursday Night Football last week didn't look like an NFL caliber offense. And it highlighted one of, for me, when I think of the New England Patriots, one of the most disturbing trends that I've kind of noticed just going over statistics and kind of pouring over things the way I do when I prep for our shows. Out of all the teams in our division, their defense is led by the great Bill Belichick. You know, he's been touted as a defensive guru who has a way to, you know, yo, he's plug and play. You take any play. If he signs a player, it's because he knows he can plug him in and they're going to work out and everything's going to be great. This defense has been one of the worst, if not the worst, in football. A lot of it's got to do with some injuries. Okay, but guess what? It, what are you going to do about those injuries? Yeah. It's, and of course, there was no injuries week one on well, the defensive side of the ball. Injuries are a fact. And then uh, Hightower, whether you want to say he's still injured or not. Okay. I mean, he got injured in the first okay, game. Okay, so you lost Hightower. You lost Hightower. That's the only notable injury to your defense. Let me read some statistics for you, Chris. The Patriots are 32nd in the NFL in scoring differential. They've scored 99 points, which is why they're 2-1. and one. They've allowed 95 points. They're 21st in sacks with 6. 31st in receiving touchdowns with 8. I mean, you think about that. The Buffalo Bills have only allowed 2 touchdowns through 3 games. The Patriots have allowed eight receiving touchdowns. They are almost last in the league. And here are the really damning statistics. This is why you look back at games and you say, hey, why'd you lose that football game? They are 25th in the league, allowing three runs of more than 20 yards. They're 30th in the league, allowing passes of more than 20 yards with 14 of them. They have, a, they, they have a Pro Bowl guy in Malcolm Butler. They just threw $40 million in guaranteed money at Stephon Gilmore. Why are you almost leading the league in long passes? I thought that's what you hire these. I thought that's what you hire a cornerback for. Probably because Gilmore gets burned and then he looks back with his hands up. Like, I thought I had, I thought I had help over the top. And then finally, they are 32nd in the NFL in total yards allowed. Now, 
I'm not going to, I'm not saying that everyone should get on the Patriots are dead hype, hype wagon. I'm not saying that because we've all seen this movie before. Everyone counts the Pats out early in the season and then they rattle off 10 straight wins from October to December. I'm not close to saying they're finished, but I'll say that this is the most vulnerable Patriots team I've ever seen. I mean, you're talking about a Tom Brady led offense. You're right. You can score. But you look at some of the other high-scoring teams throughout NFL history. The Saints were a high-scoring football team. The only trophy they ever won was when they played defense. Bill Belichick has been able to marry defense and high-powered offense for the last decade. If he can't continue to do that, I don't know. I mean, you get to a point where you can't outscore every opponent. Now, luckily for them this week, they get a game at home against the Carolina Panthers, who are 29th in total scoring. So hopefully that's what it takes to get them back on track for their sake. Because if not, Chris, I mean, how many games does a defensive slide like this have to go before you start actually calling it a trend, not just a fluke? How many games does their defense have to remain in the basement of the NFL before you start actually considering the fact that for the first time in a long time, they might actually be vulnerable. For the Patriots, I'm going to need to see something similar to this for the next, like, four weeks. Okay. All right. Well, I will keep you abreast. Now, vulnerable defenses, what we're looking for next week. We're going to move right along into our week four preview. Buffalo Bills versus the Atlanta Falcons. Oh, fuck these Atlanta <laughs> you guys can't see it, but Chris just like hit when oh, I said Bills or no, Falcons, no, he shivered. He had like an involuntary just you spasm. Fuck this shitty team in your <laughs> new fucking stadium that was only sold out because of the fucking Packers. You wow. watch that game, third quarter, that place is empty because all the fucking Packer fans left. They have no fucking fan base. At all, that Chris, is gonna be that is gonna be Rich Stadium <laughs> South on Sunday. I fucking guarantee it. And right now, you apologize to Mark Cavarotti because we're not coming because Larissa's in a wedding. You go. I will not I'm apologize sorry. because I'm going to enjoy myself. But Chris, this is the most passionate I've ever heard you on the microphone. Because I hate Atlanta. Okay, so, so much. for our listeners, why don't you explain why they have no. Fan base. Okay, so Anytime. as a Bills fan growing up in Atlanta, someone who was you were active in the Bills backers of Atlanta. Yes, you were. They're sold out. By the way, Bills backers of Atlanta, they're sold out of tickets to the to the to the party, Bills backers to the, to the party the night before at the bar, <laughs> and they have three bars in Guys, the city. If people in if people like uh, in Carolina may have forgotten, we will show up to your city and drink your bars dry. That's exactly what we'll do because we're Bills fans. Now, Chris. Being a Buffalo transplant down to Atlanta, I want you to explain for all of our listeners specifically why you hold this hatred for this team. Because they're all Fairweather fans. I've been to one Falcons game my entire existence being in Atlanta. And it just so happens I had a buddy, hey, you want to go to this Falcons game? And then I went, oh, Bills are on a bye. Sure, I'd love to go. They played the Bears, sold out with Bear fans. (laughs) <laughs> and then it was Matt Ryan's rookie year, and he led them back to a game-winning field goal at as time expired. The place was dried empty. Everybody left. They thought the game was over. There's a bunch of fair-weather fucking fans. 
Atlanta, Folks, Atlanta has the shittiest fan base across all sports, whether it's baseball, football, basketball. They've already lost two fucking hockey teams. Fuck that city dry. Oh, my God. Folks, you are hearing an explosion of profanity. This is the most passionate I've heard Chris in three years about anything. I hate everything about Atlanta. All right, so let's get right into this football game. Here's the info. 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It will be aired on CBS. Location, the Mercedes-Benz Dome. The weather, it's going to be dome-like. Dome-like, slathered <laughs> with Bills fans. The spread is Bills plus 8.5. 48 is the over-under. Bill, bills are going to cover. I agree. So this week there will be no spread bet. Congratulations, sir. <laughs> yeah. The reigning NFC champs, currently undefeated Falcons. I mean, they've looked vulnerable on the road so far this season, but at home, in their lone home game, they took care of business against the Packers in a game that was never in question from start to finish. Just a dominating performance. The Bills are going to have to, I mean, if if they're going to avoid the same fate, it's going to take a shitload of work. The injuries coming into this game for the Bills... Marcel Darius, questionable with an ankle injury. Although, because we just released Coleman, the defensive tackle we just signed last week, I have a feeling he's going to be dressed and probably playing, maybe on a limited snap count. Offensive tackle, Cordy Glenn, questionable with an ankle injury. Jarrell Worthy, questionable with a concussion. These may be the shortest injury lists I've ever seen for a Buffalo Bills roster. On the flip side, the Falcons aren't nearly as nearly as lucky. Defensive end Vic Beasley, all-star. He is out with a hamstring injury. Awesome. Can't wait. Cornerback Jalen Collins, out. Suspension. Cornerback Ricardo Allen, questionable. Concussion. Linebacker Courtney Upshaw. He's an edge rusher, folks. Questionable with an ankle injury. And then Julio Jones, probable with a back injury. We... D- d- f- that's, and that's exactly where I'm going to start my offensive scouting report on this team. It's Julio motherfucking Jones. You don't even have to guess. I mean, we've all seen the offensive talent that the Falcons possess. I mean, they've had a lot of weapons over the last couple of years. But if you tried to compare anybody else on that side of the ball, as far as a skill position player to Julio, it would be like comparing minnows to sharks. I mean, it's just incredible what the man is capable of. Three games this season, he's already racked up 265 yards. He's got three catches of more than 20 yards. That's huge. He's personally responsible for 12 first downs. He's just a freak. It's almost like how I talked about Demarius Thomas last week. He can hurt your defense at any level of the field, which makes him a defensive coordinator's worst nightmare whether it's uh, just a short cross in front of your linebackers that he can turn up field and you know it's going to take multiple people to tackle him because of his size, or whether it's a deep shot where he challenges your safeties and because he's bigger and more physical than them, they have a hard time fighting him for the ball in the air. I, essentially, he is the reason that the Falcons' rushing attack is so dangerous because you just can't afford to load up the box with his presence out there on the field. Now, right now, he's not practicing with what they're calling a back injury, but we all know he's going to be out there. I think that this is going to be the biggest test. I don't care about Tom Brady. This is going to be the biggest test for this new-look secondary. 
You're all big. You're all physical cornerbacks. Okay, that's great. Can you match up with someone who is a freak? He's bigger than two of you put together. You could stand on each other's shoulders and he'd still out jump you for those high balls. I mean, it's, uh, I just, it's going to be really interesting to see how we roll and mix our coverages to try to account for him as well as all the other speed that they have at the wide receiver position. They've got Taylor Gabriel, who last week, last week the Lions did everything that they could to try to take Julio Jones away. Taylor Gabriel, who's a little known, you know, he's, he's a small receiver with a lot of speed. Seven catches, 95 yards. I, he, they have so much speed on offense, the skill positions, that you can't afford to just focus on Julio. But Julio's presence is why the machine runs. That's why you need our defensive line to penetrate and penetrate quickly. Absolutely. And then you look at what they've got in the backfield. I mean, everybody knows how multifaceted LaShawn McCoy is for the Buffalo Bills. He gets in the run game, he gets in the passing game, and he is the engine that seems to drive our offense if Tyrod Taylor can't pull a performance like he did Sunday out of his ass. On top of Julio Jones, the Falcons have not one running back, but two of them that fit that mold. If you play fantasy football, then I'm sure you know who Tevin Coleman and Devonta Freeman are. I mean, Devonta Freeman is owned in 99 point something percent of all ESPN fantasy football leagues. But when you get past the numbers, their impact on offense is amazing. On the ground, you've got Freeman. He leads the way 227 yards and four rushing touchdowns through just three games. Coleman only has half of that rushing total, but he averages 5.8 yards per carry. He's, he's a dangerous runner when you put the ball in his hands. Either one of them can carve their way through the defense or just knock your guys down and run through them with power. I still think, though, that the most dangerous aspect of these running backs is in the passing game. Coleman and Freeman combined are averaging 8.5 yards per catch. And they've got 138 yards in the passing game right now between the two of them. You figure LaShawn McCoy only has like 132. They together are doing what LaShawn McCoy does to other teams. We're familiar with what that looks like. I mean, and I think for them, they feast on these defenses. They try to overcommit to covering all of these wide receivers that they have. I mean, what are you going to do? Chris, you can't envision a world where you single cover Julio Jones, right? We're never going to leave Trey White on an island with Julio. No. If we're, no. we're going to have Trey on Julio, we better. So it's a get, safety. We it's better, a safety dropping down, probably yeah. some bracket coverage. But even then, okay, so now you've bracketed him. You still have to worry about Taylor Gabriel on the other side. And at the same time, you've got Austin Hooper, a tight end who can stretch the field. And now once you've accounted Justin Hardy, another wide receiver who, again, speed guy. So once you've accounted for all of these receiving targets, one of these running backs comes out of the backfield and takes the ball. Short pass. And now you have to turn around, bear down, and try to tackle that guy. That's why they're averaging eight and a half yards per catch. Everyone's so focused on their wide receivers that you can't stop them all. That's the problem. They're, it's like fighting the Hydra. They just have too many heads. You know? It's... It's incredible just how versatile. I mean, these, these running backs aren't just safety valves for their quarterback. They're actual passing options. In fact, I would put them as passing options probably third in the pecking order. 
It's incredible how dangerous they can be. And then on the defensive side of the ball, that's where I get a little more confident about this game. When I look at the Falcons' defense and I look at the numbers and I watch some of the tape, I come back with the word average. That's all that keeps going through my head is average. It's not meant to be insulting. It's just what I see, and it all starts with the defensive line. It's a lot because their offense outscores everybody. I mean, they what they gave up twenty six to Detroit. Yep, they should have lost to Chicago. Yep, they should have lost to Detroit. They should have lost to Chicago. But those were road games at home. Their defense put Green Bay in a headlock from Jump Street and never let them go. Now, one of the things I've noticed is that so the Falcons took Takaris McKinley in the first round of this year's draft. By all accounts, he's having a great start to the season. He's only got one sack, but he's generated a lot of quarterback pressure. But without Vic Beasley, he's the only name that stands out to me on that defensive line, which is a great thing for Buffalo. I mean, we just went up against one of the best defensive, one of the best pass rushing defenses anywhere in the NFL, and we came out on top. Now we're going up against a football team that has one guy that I know of and then another guy in the middle. I mean, you, you think about it. They've had to try and match their mix and match their pass rushing. Because without Vic Beasley and Takaris McKinley being your bookend defensive ends, your pass rush has to come from somewhere. But outside of defensive tackle Adrian Claiborne, they don't have another player who's consistently a pass rush threat. I mean, they went out in free agency and signed Dontari Poe as a defensive tackle. Ooh, great move three years ago. But he's a run stuffer. That's it. He's a two-down defensive tackle. He's not going to give you a whole lot in the way of pass rush. And at the same time, Claiborne is getting free because of Poe's presence. But at the same time, you only have two guys who are legitimate threats to sack your quarterback on the defensive line. That's, they're just, they don't have enough consistent pass rush threats. So what that does is it leaves them exposed. In three games, they have allowed 200-yard passing performances from every quarterback that they've played. Now think about that. The Bills have lost. The only time we lost was when our quarterback didn't throw 200 yards. They've allowed 200 yards to every quarterback. And the only time, the time that they held a quarterback under 250 yards was the same game against Chicago where, okay, so Mike Glennon didn't throw for 250 yards, but you gave up 125 yards rushing on just 19 attempts. That is sad. I'm I'm assuming... Based on what you have, Adrian Claiborne, defensive tackle, Poe, defensive tackle. It seems like these are the only two that'll be able to collapse the pocket. So I'm going to assume maybe you roll out Tyrod. Well, yeah, and that plays right advantage. into our strengths because look at what we did to the look at what we did to the Broncos this week. So when I see their defense and I take a look at what they are and what they've done so far through three games, they've kind of had to pick their poison when it comes to what they want to be. They're either going to let a quarterback throw all over them, or they're going to try to stop the you know, or they're going to try to stop the pass and give up the run, which against the Buffalo Bills you just can't do. So that brings us to my keys for victory: the things that we have to do to win this goddamn football game. First and foremost, we got to win that battle line of scrimmage. From a defensive standpoint, we have got to own the line of scrimmage. Matt Ryan isn't a slug. But he's also not Tyrod Taylor. He's not the most elusive or mobile quarterback in the entire universe. It'd be great if Darius can play. We 
Him and Kyle oh, yeah. push that pocket right up the middle. It's going to be paramount that we get pressure on him early and often. Keep him off balance because he's got a multitude of weapons, but if he can't get if he doesn't have time to get the ball to him, how can he hurt us? Second is that we have to clean up our route combinations. Now, I know earlier in tonight's show, I talked a lot about Rick Dennison and about how I liked the job that he was doing. <clears throat> the Falcons are still going to consider stacking the box against McCoy because that is the key to victory for them. If they can shut down LaShawn McCoy the way the Panthers did, we're going to have a tough time winning this football game. What's that word? Spacing? Spacing. I tried to educate Chris over the weekend about spacing. But it was it's, just too hot. It's going to be on Taylor to find ways to move the chains through the air. And what that's going to take is spacing. Now, the Falcons play a man defensive scheme. A lot of man coverage. And they've got a lot of speed at safety and cornerback. I mean, you take a look over the last few games, no one has really been able to throw the ball down the field on the Falcons. But the Falcons have been able to been willing to give up a lot of hook routes, a lot of curl routes, a lot of short crossing routes. Because again, they're doing what the Bills are doing. They're trying to keep every play in front of them. I envision another game that this might prove difficult for our wide receivers to just get natural separation. You know what I mean? Zay Jones isn't just going to cut on a dime and be wide open. It's going to be on Dennison to come up with a game plan like he did this last week. Use his route combinations to set each other up. Just like that Jordan Matthews play that I described. You can't have guys running within 10 yards of each other just clogging up each other's routes. Even though I like what Dennison did on Sunday, I still saw a bunch of it. For some reason, he loves bunching formations. But then what you end up with is a bunch of wide receivers because none of them's explosive enough to make the cut and get away from everybody else. You end up with three receivers occupying a 50-square-foot area of the field. That's not good. You're not going to throw into a space where there's 10 guys standing. It's just, it's not good. I think they still need to work on that. And if they do that, you clean up your route combinations and you continue to build on what you did this past week, you can find success in this game. Chris, they've given up points. They've given up passing yardage. I mean, if I'm, if I'm our offensive coordinator, I'm envisioning an attack because I know you play man. Some early hook and seam routes. I'm going to, I'm going to send... Charles Clay up the seam. And I'm going to challenge your linebackers to try to get him between the safeties. I'm going to throw some early hook routes on the outside to let your cornerbacks know that they kind of have to watch for the turnaround move. Once that happens, it's going to loosen up the interior of your pass coverage, which is exactly when you can hit people with the plays like that crossing route from Jordan Matthews that went for 28 yards. That's what it's going to take. It's going to be like a boxing match. You're going to have to set your opponent up with a series of punches in order to bait him into the next punch and the next punch and the next punch. It's going to be really interesting to see how they respond to all this coming through this. And then finally, winning the turnover battle. Excuse me, we'll open a fresh beer here. In the Carolina game, we saw flashes of our defensive backs keying on passes. And yet they couldn't haul in the interception. Chris, how many was it in that first half? I want to say at least three different defensive backs got their hands on balls that should have been picked and just weren't. Yeah, and they were able to correct that against Denver. Well, but that's my point. We saw it, and if those conversions happen, who knows what that game looks like. You know, we get the ball in field goal range a couple times in their end of the field. Maybe it's not 3-9. to 
So that's going to be paramount to this game. They're going to try to throw the ball at us. They're going to. Yes, they have a good running game, but their running game is benefited by the fact that you have to be terrified of their passing attack. In each of their wins, the Falcons have ended up in the plus column for turnovers. We're going to need to not only hang on to the ball, but use our defensive pressure to force Ryan into making mistakes. That's what the Lions did. The Lions showed that it's possible. Last week, Matt Ryan threw three interceptions because he was under pressure. A win in this category would go a long way to at least getting us close to a place where we could maybe sniff at a win in this football game. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna need to see our D line, just like what we you should do to Brady, and just press press and get that, pressure, press that pocket right up the middle, and get Matt Ryan to move to the outside see? with a faster Folks, Jerry Hughes. Can I say something before we end tonight's show? Hearing Chris talk about things like the term spacing, and hearing him talk about real football terminology, I don't know. It's like a father when you're teaching your kid how to ride a bike. And he's got his training wheels on still. And then you take him off and you give him a shove and he makes it at least half a block before he falls down. Chris, you are on your way to understanding the game of football. Fresh beer. Fill your hand. (laughs) So that brings us to our predictions. Chris, what do you see from Sunday's game? Bills are going to win this fucking game. (laughs) He's all fired up again. We're going to win this game. Against this piece of shit team <laughs> with their shit fan base that started in 08 when they drafted Matt fucking Ryan. That's when that fan base started was 08. I'm telling you right now, you're going to listen to this before the game. That play, that building down there is going to be Ralph Wilson South. It's going to be loud, filled with Bills fans because we know nobody in the city of Atlanta gives a shit about the Falcons. Bills are going to win this football game 21 to 20. Now, when you say no one gives a shit about the Falcons, Samuel L. Jackson likes the Falcons. And that oh, fuck that guy. Samuel L. Jackson, he's a he he even has the wallet to prove it. He's a bad motherfucker. For that reason, I'm gonna say that I still think that the Falcons win this thing by a touchdown. I'm gonna call it I'm gonna call it 24-17 Falcons. Well, you're wrong on that. That should be the Seagram's bet. I think we're gonna win. You think we're gonna lose. All right, Seagram's bet. That's it. If the Buffalo Bills win this game, I, I got to get off the snide. I'm, I'm 0-2 in Seagram's bets. <laughs> We're only three weeks into the season. Chris has already lost his first two cracks at the Seagram's Yeah, I bets. couldn't even win the last. I couldn't even tweet out the Seagram's bet. Before he lost. Before I lost it on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, folks, hopefully for your sake, Chris is right. Now, guys, before we get out of here, got some teasers, some obligations. <laughs> obligatory holy shit what a word obligatory plugs to get out of the way first and foremost be sure to tune into us every saturday night on twitter and facebook live for the rock bell report live on saturday night but we're not doing it this week we talk a little You'll be in roch i will be in rochester for a wedding but every other saturday night we talk college football we t- <laughs> we talk a lot of college football we talk the bills we talk injury reports we drink beer and we have a good time we take you know our followers questions then I want to talk about Grandstand Sports Network. We bring you guys the best view in sports. It's basically an online radio network for podcasts. Go there. I bet you you're going to hear. I've I've found two other podcasts. Now, I'm not a guy who listens to podcasts. I, I don't even listen to my own podcast. No. I don't listen to it. This Chris is, tells is, me what I is do. How, this is how our, our show goes. We're going to upload this in a couple of minutes. 
I'm going to listen to it tomorrow. I'm going to go, Drew, you're going to need to do this differently and this differently. And then he's going to go, you fuck off. And then I'm like, all right, see you next week. That's how that goes. Ultimately, what it is is it's an online radio station of podcasts. Amateur, professionally recorded podcasts that, you know, it's a bunch of guys like us who like to have a good time, like to drink some beer, and they're all high-quality podcasts. You tune in. Who knows? Maybe you find a show that you're into. Maybe you find one on a sport that you didn't think you'd be interested in, and now you're listening to it. Just go check it out, www.grandstandsportsnetwork.com. And then finally, Wise Guys Pizzeria in South Buffalo, the official pizzeria of the Rockpile Report. Folks, during the bye week Saturday, we will be doing our Facebook Live from the pizzeria where I will take on the their Carolina Reaper Wing Challenge. Only two people in the history in the 25-year history of the pizzeria have been able to do it. I think you should do it twice. It's Carolina Reaper Wings. Well, what it is is it's a Carolina Reaper-based hot sauce. The wings are doused in them. You have five minutes to eat ten wings. To the bone. No water, no napkins, no assistance, a ton of people ridiculing you for trying it. Then you have to eat those 10 wings in five minutes. After those five minutes, you now have to sit for another five minutes with no napkins, with no water, with no assistance, and you just burn internally. And if you can hold it down for five minutes, you are, you win. You win, you get your photo on the wall, and I saw the challenge, and guys, I, I'm a gl- call me a glutton for punishment, but I got this. Yeah, you do like, you are, if you can't figure out from the way Drew speaks, he's pretty fucking competitive. <laughs> I am. Folks, you're going to want to tune in for that. Again, Saturday night of the bye week. Follow us on Twitter at Rockpile Report, and you can get at us on email if you have questions, comments, maybe you want to make a guest appearance on the show, rockpilereport 716 at gmail.com. Guys, got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. that's Chris Krueger, and this has been the Rockpile Report. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.